Truly, Father God, you are awesome. And we know that because of the human language that that's just an understatement. For there's no word that really can describe just how great you are. So, Father God, we gather together in this place because we need to hear from you. I pray, Father God, that you will allow me to speak as a servant of Christ and a steward of his mysteries. Allow me, Father God, to hide behind the cross and to preach with boldness and clarity so that your people may become better disciples for you, Father God, and that I will be transformed by your word first and as well. Father, we pray for those who are sick today and those who are in need of healing, for those who have been affected by the dark touch of cancer. We pray, Father God, and we long for the day where we will no longer have to wear pink, for the day, Father God, where we will no longer have to march and raise money to defeat cancer, for the day, Father God, where you will crush cancer and you will crush arthritis and you will crush dementia and you will crush HIV AIDS. We long for the day, Father God, where our bones no longer ache and when our eyes behold the beauty of your Son, the one who is both a lion and a lamb. We long for that day, Father, to join with the heavenly chorus and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Until then, Father God, let us be sustained by your word and help us to be faithful. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. There is so much confusion about what it means to be a Christian pastor and leader. We are confused. We are. Christians really don't have a, a, a good uh, reference or ideal about what God expects from a Christian pastor, what God expects from a Christian leader. It seems like we're kind of just groping in the dark and, and maybe even just making it up as we go along. How will we know how to call a pastor to pastor a church if we don't know what God expects from them? How can we pray for those who God has called to lead us if we don't know what God expects from them and what to expect from them? How can we work alongside the, the men whom God has called if, if we have no idea what their work really consists of? How can we encourage and, and hold our pastors accountable if we have no true picture of what it means? to be a pastor, to be a, a Christian leader. In our confusion, we run to different sources in order to try to figure out what God expects from his leaders. Some of us, we run to television, and we stumble upon shows on oxygen called Preachers of L.A. And we look at these shows, and we try to decipher and decide whether or not these are truly men of God. I was in the barbershop yesterday, and someone sat next to me, and we began to have a dialogue, and he asked me as a pastor, what do you think about that new show? And just before I was able to give an answer, he let me, think, he let me know that he thought that the show had some good qualities and gave a good picture of a pastor, and he's a professing, a professing Christian. Since the show has aired, even throughout the churches, I walk throughout the halls, I've been asked 
numerous of times by numerous of members, What's My Fault, on the show, Preachers of L.A. In case you're in the dark, this is a television show that comes on Oxygen, and it shows celebrity pastors uh, who live in L.A., and these celebrity pastors uh, live just like celebrities do in L.A. They live big. They drive fast cars and live in big houses. And their ministries is, is really centered on them. Some of us in our confusion, we, we run to bookstores. And in order to answer what a pastor truly is, we look at fictional novels that we call Christian novels about the church. And we read these novels and we see what these novels say about pastors. And that's what we think a pastor is. That's what we expect from them. Others, we look at a CEO of a 500 company. And we see how a, a CEO of a, of a major company runs his corporation. And we think that's what a, a pastor's supposed to be. He's supposed to be a businessman and run the church like a business. I had a friend who was taking a leadership class at seminary, and uh, this was a few years ago, and I asked him, I said, man, how's that class coming about uh, what it means to be a Christian leader and a Christian pastor? And he says, I, I don't like the class. I said, why don't you like the class? He says, because we're yet to go to the Bible for our definition. Our professor has us looking at the, the top uh, uh, books on business leaders and, and what it means to be a great leader by looking at secular examples. The Bible gives us a clear picture of what God expects from his preachers and from his pastors. As Christians, there, there's hardly anything that we have to speculate about. God's word speaks to our lives. And God's word especially speaks to his people and to his church. So today we're going to get a, a picture of what it means and what it looks like to be a, a Christian leader, a Christian pastor, by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. If you can stand for the reading of God's word. We should hold this Bible with great gratitude that God has not left us to speculate, but that we can know the heart of God because he has clearly revealed it to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. And the precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, matchless, wonderful word of God reads, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore I do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness 
and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. Now, you may be seated. Today, we want to tag this text, Preachers of the Lord. Preachers of the Lord. Corinth was much like L.A. It was a a booming city, a popular city. It was a large metropolitan area, and it was just growing by leaps and bounds. But it also was a very celebrity-addicted culture. It was known for its philosophers and people who were great thinkers. And members of this, this community, members of this city would would come behind great philosophers and and follow their teachings and and boast great things about them. But the sad thing is, is that the church began to reflect the culture. And they wanted celebrity pastors. And as a result, the church began to become divided and began to look less like the unique people of God and more like the world. They expected their pastors to be great philosophers and great orders. They wanted to hear about what was the the latest thought in philosophy rather than what God's word says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, we see that they're even dividing amongst pastors in the church. They're now debating and arrogantly arguing Who's the best leader in that city? And we read in verse 12, some are saying that Paul is, some are saying that Apollos is, some are saying that Cephas is, and some are saying, you know what, I don't listen to any of them, I follow Jesus, the super spiritual ones. And then in verse number 17, we see that Paul addresses this church by letting them know that he's not going to get sucked into this immature behavior. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of power. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, And I, when I come to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith may not rest in the wisdom of man. That your faith may not rest in me, but in the power of God. Paul was well taught. Paul was one of the the most well-learned people in his day. But he said, when I came preaching to you, I made sure that I stood behind the cross and not in front of it. I made sure that I came with a message, uh, preached in a way that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be dull or hindered. And he's calling the church of Corinth to rethink how they think a pastor should be and calling them to walk away from this mindset of a celebrity pastor. And he wants to paint them a radically different picture than what they're used to seeing. A pastor, 
Paul is going to show us. A true servant, a true leader is a servant steward who is motivated by what Christ thinks of him. A true pastor is a servant steward who is motivated by what Christ thinks about him. That's what we want to see in this text today. So, so as we go through this text and as we look at what Paul has to say and as we, as we think about what the scripture as a whole say, now we can have a, a lens and we can have a, 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 a picture, a, a worldview that, that is able to accept and to reject pictures that we see in the world. Because there were preachers in Corinth just like there was preachers in L.A. that was confusing the body of Christ. We're going to see in the rest of this chapter that there were preachers who were Pursuing riches, pursuing wealth, pursuing fame, pursuing prestige. And, and, and Paul is saying, no, I'm going to give you a different picture. Now, Paul was an apostle. Uh, he was uh, one of the authority figures of the church, one of the, the, the few men who were called to help uh, uh, start the church. His preaching helped unite the church and paint a picture and vision for the church. And he's going to set the church straight by pointing them to what he received from Jesus and from the other apostles. So in verse 1, we read these words. This is how you should think about us. This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. As servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. The first thing Paul says here is, is a pastor should be thought of as a servant of Christ. Now, this word servant is a, a picture of an underrower. In the Greek, it's the word huperetes or uperetes, which is a picture of a, a slave that is at the bottom of a ship rowing. A slave that is not seen, that is not heard. One who is serving his master, serving the captain by rowing. It originally indicates the lowest galley slave. There was no ranking among slaves. There was no prestige among slaves. They were not to be celebrated. Paul says, this is how you should regard us. This word later came to, to mean uh, one who is placed under the authority of another. Paul is saying that you should regard us as a, as a servant of Christ, a person who is placed under the authority of Jesus. One who is not to be ranked in order to see who is the best or who's the greatest. But one who is working on behalf of Christ. Behalf of Christ. In order to really get a a great picture of, of what it truly means to be a, a pastor and what the Bible says it means to be a Christian leader, um, we need to consider, by looking at this short phrase, what, what he is not. It says that he is a servant of Christ, which means that he is not first and primarily a servant of people. He is not first and primarily a servant of people. He belongs to Christ. Some pastors and some members of some churches think that a, a pastor is, a, is first and primarily a servant of them. 
And some pastors think that his first job, his primary job is to serve people. But that's not what the text says. The text says that he is a servant of Christ. Which means that he belongs to Christ. That he depends upon upon Christ in order that he may serve other people. His most important duty is spending time in the word of God and spending time with God. His first duty is to establish in his heart that Christ is his authority figure, not the members that he preaches to and serves. God sets his agenda. God is his authority figure. God is the one that he sets to please first and above all others. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, we read, the Apostle Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul told the church of Galatians that I am not a people pleaser. I am not your under rower. I am God's under rower. I am working first and foremost on his behalf. What happens when a preacher sees himself first as a servant of people rather than as a servant of God is that he normally falls into the temptation of watering down God's word. He eventually becomes a peddler of God's word. He softens it and lightens it in order to be accepted by people. Because people is who he fears. He, he begins to believe that people are who employ him. But people don't employ pastors. God employs pastors. God calls people to pastors to certain places. And he can fall easily, and I can fall easily, and we can fall easily into the temptation of doing what people want rather than what God, God's word commands. Preaching the sermons that people who have itchy ears want to hear rather than preaching in a way that God commands. Another uh, thing that we see with a person who sees himself first as a a preacher, who sees himself first as a servant of people and not a servant of Christ, is that he will burn himself out. So many preachers and so many pastors are absolutely burnt out. Statistics show. Pastoring is one of, pastors have one of the most unhealthy lifestyles because they don't make time for themselves, because they're constantly running after the needs of every person who says they need them. And it is, it's easy. It's easy to fall into the temptation of believing that we are the Messiah, that ministry depends on whether or not we answer a phone call or return a phone call or or show up to visit this person. But a pastor is one man, and he's God's man first. And he has to seek the face of God for his priorities and for other areas of his life. But we also see that many pastors wreck their marriages because they essentially become married to two people. They're married to their wives and they're married to the church. And many times they choose the church over their wives because there's more praise to be received from a group of people than one. So he is not a servant of people first. He is a servant of Christ. Second, we see, uh, we need to know that he is also not a servant of self. He's not a servant of self. 
So many pastors and so many preachers, unfortunately, so many people get into the ministry because they see it as an opportunity to gain prestige. They see it as an opportunity to become famous and to make a name for themselves. They see it as a, as a way to, to, uh, to get everyone to look at them and to respect them. But, but a, a preacher is not called to be a servant of self. And that's something that only God can do in the heart of a person. Only God can do in the heart of a preacher is turn his heart from himself to Christ. The disciples throughout the ministry of Jesus constantly struggle with this. Many times they were leaving places of ministry and they were headed to other places and we will find them arguing about who was the greatest amongst them. And Jesus would constantly tell them that the greatest amongst you is not the one who serves himself and who has other people serving him, but the greatest amongst you is the one who is a servant, is the one who is considered the least of these. A waiter at a restaurant is employed and is, is overseen by a supervisor. And that supervisor sets the tone for what that waiter should look like at work. Sets the tone of what the waiter can say and can't say, should say and shouldn't say, what he can serve and, and can't serve. So the waiter primarily is first a servant of the supervisor, and then second, a servant of the people. Because if he puts the customer before his supervisor and before what he's taught, he won't have a job long. Because he will break rules and overstep boundaries that he's not supposed to. The same is so for a pastor. A pastor is not a self-serving type of person. So whenever you look at a television show or whenever you read a Christian fictional novel that's painting a pastor to be selfish and that's painting a pastor to be a slave of people, remind yourself of what the Bible says, that the Bible says that a pastor is a servant of Christ, a under rower for him, working on his behalf. And at Forest Baptist Church, we want to continue to pray for more under rowers. We want to continue to pray for more servants of Christ. We want to pray for those whom the Lord has given us, but we want to, we want to also pray that, we, that your pastors won't fall into the temptation of ever serving you before serving Christ and ever serving themselves before their Lord. Pray for me in that way. When we think about a servant, and even when we think about this text, it's... it's we can easily just say, you know, yeah, this is for pastors. What does this have to do with my life? Um, this is good. I get to learn what a, a preacher is. But we want to understand, when Paul was writing his text, um, he was not just explaining what the role of a pastor should look like and a Christian leader should look like and what the role of an apostle looks like, but he was calling the church to imitate him. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. 
to be imitators of me. Verse 17, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child, in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ. So Paul is not just saying, listen, this is the ministry of the apostles we're servants. This is the ministry of pastors. He's saying this is the ministry of a Christian. The ministry of a Christian is to, to serve Christ and from serving Christ, serve others. It's to serve Christ, and while serving Christ, to constantly put to death the deeds of the flesh and selfless desires. That's the ministry of of every Christian. So to that mom, single mom who's raising a daughter or a son, before you can serve your child, you have to be a servant of Christ. You have to first see yourself as a servant of Christ before you see yourself as a mother and as a mother to your child. Because if not, your home will become a a child-centered home rather than a Christ-centered home. You won't have the manager's picture of what it means to be a mom. Instead, you will give into the selfish desires of that child and you will find yourself constantly feeding that child's ego and constantly feeding that child's desires, not knowing what your authority uh, has said about it. That foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And that a child is to be subject to one's parent and not a parent subject to one's child. Second, we see that a pastor is not only a servant of Christ, but he is a steward of the mysteries of God. Get your Bible. He is a steward of the mysteries of God. Verse 2 goes on to say, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. A steward, this word that he's using here, was a popular word uh, that was used for a household manager. It was the picture of a, a person managing a, a wealthy wealthiest person's home. And they were trusted by this person with all matters of the house. So this wealthy person can go away for months, and he trusted that the, the person that he left behind was going to properly keep the grounds was going to dispense uh, his finances to, to workers accordingly, was going to take care of the house just as if he was there, as if he was present. It was a person who was trustworthy, who was managing the things that was, was left behind. Paul says that a pastor is one who manages the things of God. But what is it? He says the, the mysteries of God. In the Greek, that's the word mysterion. It is, it is a, a picture of, uh, number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to, to keep, to manage, to uphold the good news of Jesus Christ, to, to faithfully pass the baton to others about what we had learned and what we have received from the apostles. But even it's broader than that because it's here in the plural. The mysteries of God refer to special revelation. The things that God has revealed in his word. The apostle was saying that a, a preacher, a, a leader, a pastor is one who maintains and upholds and keeps and manages 
the things that God has revealed. Chapter 1, we learn that that's the, the, the foolishness of the cross of Christ. We're called to preach the, the foolishness of the cross of Christ, the things that seem foolish to the world. It's the things that the chapter 2 says, that's the things that the, the natural man don't understand. We are called to manage to keep the word of God. That's what the mysteries of God is. We need to steward them. And how does a, a pastor steward the mysteries of God? He does that, number one, by being a student of God's word. By being a student of God's word, by studying God's word. I turn on the television from time to time and, and unfortunately see many televangelists just making up stuff. And you know they are just thinking on their feet. You open your Bible, read the verse in context, it's completely taken out of context. In order to steward God's word, one must study God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. To rightly divide, to rightly handle means to cut straight, to not veer off of the, 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 the thing that you're supposed to trace, to not feel like you have to be creative and, and make up stuff. You don't have to make up stuff. Talked to one preacher one time who just made up something. I said, man, what you just made up is a heresy. It's not even original thought. That's what Jehovah Witnesses believe. Stop trying to make up stuff and just teach what the Bible says and believe what it says. Oh, man, you just saying that. One day I'm going to write a book on it. I'm going to become famous. You may become famous to a specific set of people, but to those who know the word of God and who stand on God's word, we're going to see that as the foolishness that it is. Paul told Timothy, a young student, his, his young disciple, he says, study, know your word. But we can't know if our pastors know the word, if we're not studying God's word. Oh, the Bible says, bless, when blessed praises go up, blessings come down. Hallelujah, Pastor. Amen. Not biblical. Not the Bible. But he also stores the mysteries of God by living and modeling God's word. He studies it, but he lives and he models it. The Bible has so much to say about the role of a pastor. It has a clear picture. We don't have to speculate. It tells us what his character should look like. It tells us the type of person that he should be. Go with me to Titus. Chapter 1. Verse 6 through 9. Verse 5, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders or pastors in each town in Crete, and then he goes on to say what, what this man ought to look like. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of, 
a debauchery or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward. We see that word again. Must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. We see a parallel passage in in, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1-8, where Paul tells Timothy uh, very similar things, almost the exact same thing. If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. For an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, hospitable, not a lover of money. Such a neighbor say, we don't have to speculate. One line that I've heard in just a few uh, snippets of preachers of L.A., is uh, one person in particular, I've seen, I heard him say it one, one, a few times, I actually just watched an a interview uh, where the person uh, was showing him respect, the person, a non-believer was interviewing him, and she uh, basically said, hey, yeah, you're a bishop, uh, you're a man of the cloth, a holy man, to which he replied, <laughs> baby, I'm a man first. <laughs> Trying to deflect the call to be holy, in order to say, don't, hold, don't esteem me too high because you're going to be disappointed, and specifically in context, because I'm living a very similar life to the average person who doesn't know Jesus. Now, this picture of a, a trustworthy steward is not a picture of one who is perfect. Pastors have bad days, pastors have bad weeks, they have bad seasons, but pastors should not have bad years. Steward of the mystery of God's words, he preaches the whole counsel of God. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, a priest in the Old Testament who was used by God to revitalize a community. It is said of this, of Ezra. It says, for Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statues and his rules in Israel. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, to do it, and to teach his statues and his rules. A pastor isn't one who just has head knowledge, but a pastor is a person who has has had a heart effect. The things that they know have affected their heart and now it affects their hands. So when you hear someone preaching and trying to separate themselves from their message, you know that they are not called and walking in the calling of a pastor. Now the word of God is always going to be higher than, in some ways than we can perfectly obtain, but the Bible tells us to strive, to pursue, A trustworthy pastor is not about flash, but he's about fruit. A trustworthy pastor doesn't get up 
caught up in the latest hearsay. He's caught up in pursuing holiness. A trustworthy pastor does not make it a goal to have a Bentley or an exotic car, but his goal is to see the people of God experience true regeneration and sanctification. A trustworthy pastor believes that life does not consist in the abundance of the things that a person has, but life consists of the abundance that one receives through Christ Jesus. A trustworthy pastor believes that satisfaction in this life comes from being full of the Spirit and full of Christ. So does a trustworthy Christian. I want to talk to my fathers real quick. Pops, dads, papas. My wife and I have a a book um, that we read with our children, and it's called uh, The Home is a Little Church. And in this small, sweet book, it does a great job of explaining uh, to to young children that, that home is just that. It's a small church. And that a dad has the role of a pastor at home. His job is to feed his children and his wife with God's word. So Paul is writing this, and he's wanting the body of Christ to imitate him, and he's wanting men to imitate him. By taking the mysteries of God and taking the word of God, spending time in it in order that that you may train up your children in the way that they should go, in the way that they should walk, in the ways of the Lord. So often we bring our children to church in order, in the hopes that they will learn about Jesus. But the Bible says that that is the parents' responsibility and job. We are to steward the word that we have received. We are to steward the things that we have learned and the things that we are to know, and we are to teach that to our children. And that doesn't, That's not the the pastor's responsibility alone. It's first and foremost your responsibility. So I just want to encourage you to to, to manage your home well. To be a pastor dad. So how do we obtain this? How how does a, a, a pastor obtain An attitude that says, I am a servant steward of God. How how do you pursue being an under-roar for Jesus, putting Christ above pleasing people in your daily life? Well, I believe Paul gives us an incredible answer in verses 3 through 5. But with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul goes on to show that the way that he's able to fulfill this role as servant steward is by thinking way more about Jesus 
than he does about what other people think about him and even what he thinks about himself. Many times we can't be servants of Jesus and we can't steward the things that God has given us because we're too wrapped up in what everyone else is saying and thinking and doing rather than what Jesus has said and commanded us to do. Look at what he says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, it sounds like we could be tempted to say that Paul is being arrogant here. And he's saying, I don't care what you think or what you say. Only God can judge me. But when we look at chapter 4, we see that that's not Paul's attitude. He's not pointing to independence. He's saying that the body of Christ cannot look in on his life and, 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 and help him to become untangled with sin or, or to give him wise counsel. We, we read throughout Paul's letters that he is calling the church to do that and he's inviting the church to, to do that even to himself, for himself. But what Paul is saying is he's, 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 he's looking at them judging him and they're saying whether or not he's an effective minister. And they're judging his effectiveness based on the world's means of effectiveness. They're judging his effectiveness based upon his word plays and his ability to tickle their ears with the latest philosophy or his ability to come off as a great order. They said that, Paul, Paul, you're not, you're not a great preacher. You're not a great order. And he's saying, I give very little thought to what you have to say. Why? Because that is not a qualification of a pastor. A qualification of a pastor is to be able to teach. It's not to be able to tickle. So he says, I'm not going to allow you to put on me things that my manager has not put on me. He's pointing us to freedom. Aren't you tired of waking up in the morning and being a slave to what people think about you? Aren't you tired of looking through your closet in fear because you know you're about to see someone who dresses well and who makes more money than you? Aren't you tired of trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians? This text gives us freedom by pointing us away from the world's identity to the way that God sees us. And Paul found great comfort in that. He says, I give very little thought. I like that little. Saying I'm not perfect, but I give very minimum thought to the way that you're judging me, to the way that you're harshly critiquing me. We'll read next week, and we'll see next week that the church of Corinth was walking around arrogant. They were reigning as if they were kings. And Paul says, I'm poorly dressed. I'm despised. And you all are, are, are walking around as if, if you run the world, and you're looking at me as if I am not a true preacher of the gospel because I'm not keeping up with the latest fad. But he also says, or any human court. Because Paul was a gospel preacher, it often got him in trouble. We read in the book of Acts, he often had to stand before 
the courts and explain his position and his religion because there was such a riot that upheld. And he says, my identity is not fixed by what some leader of the Sanhedrin or some ruler thinks about me. But look at what he goes on and says. Now, this is really radical. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He says, I give very little thought to my own standard. For I am unaware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. He says, I believe that I'm writing this in good conscience. I don't believe that I'm putting unjust things on myself, but even if so, my conscience isn't what frees me. I'm not innocent. Paul is saying, trying to give us a, a different way, a different way of thinking, a different way of living so that we can be free from the bondage of what other people think, what the world is doing, and even what we think about ourselves. We spend so much time thinking about ourselves. And, and the reason we can't serve Christ as an underroar is because we're so self-consumed. The reason we can't be on mission for Jesus and experience God using us to bring people to know him is because we're so consumed with ourselves. It's the human heart. That's human nature. That's the, the old man. Look at the word he uses, but I am not thereby acquitted. That is a legal term. I am not thereby innocent. It's the same word that he uses throughout the book of Romans that is translated as justified. The reason why Paul can give very little thought to what other people think is because he knows that he has been justified, declared innocent by the person who matters most. The person who matters most loves him in spite of himself. The person who matters most has forgiven him for all of his sins, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Paul is able to freely live and freely commit himself to the things of God because he is no longer consumed with what other people think, but he is satisfied with what God thinks of him. See, the Bible teaches that Jesus came into the world, lived a perfect life, and died upon the cross because he loves us. He loves us. And when he died upon the cross, our sins, those who put their faith and trust in him, are transferred unto him. Everything that we would do, past, present, or future, that would go against the way of God was put upon him, and we received his record. God declared us not guilty. And he washed us clean and made us new. Paul is living out of that. He's living out of a deep appreciation for what Jesus has done for him. Live out of a deep appreciation of what Jesus has done for you. Know that there is a, a literal God who is omnipresent, and there is a, a literal man named Jesus who is both God and man sitting on a throne. And when you wake in the morning, he says, regardless of what you have on, regardless of how much you make, regardless of what someone has to say about you, you are mine. Run to him. Sit under his authority. 
Learn what He expects from you. And pursue that out of what He's done for you, not out of trying to gain His acceptance. Let's close by looking at the rest of this verse. He says these words, It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before time, before the Lord comes. So he's trying to teach the church at Corinth to stop being overly critical in judging people in a way that God has not called the church to judge. God causes us to judge sin within, inside the church, habitual and flagrant sin. He doesn't call us to, to judge people according to the world's standards. He's pointing them to Jesus. And he's pointing them to the day that Jesus will return. He says one day God is going to factor everything in and Jesus is going to judge. But look at this. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of heart. We cannot rank preachers. We cannot rank pastors. Because we don't know their hearts. We don't know their hearts. We want to rank them on talent, or this pastor preaches like this, and he can do that, and this pastor can't. No, God is, God is ranking on a completely different scale. The person that we see as a world-class speaker who preaches in cathedrals, we'll compare them and say, that's a great preacher, that's a great pastor. But God may, may well be more impressed with the person who pastors a church of 25 in a rural area, whose church will never grow because people aren't moving in, but who is faithful week in and week out to studying, living, and teaching God's Word, who is maximizing the gifts that God has gave him. God sees the heart. He sees the motives of the person. When I was in college, I was uh, the president of an African-American black uh, Bible study movement under InterVarsity there, and it was time for me to transition out, um, had a year and a half left, and needed to find the next person to lead the, the, the movement or the organization, the Bible study. And there was a young freshman who knew his word inside and out. I was a little leery about working with him because um, of some things that he would, would say from time to time it's just that let me know that he knew that he knew his Bible, and... Uh, was very proud of that. Well, I'll never forget, after talking to uh, the leader that was over me, he says, just pour your life into him, disciple him, um, help him to, to, to come to, uh, to maturity, and he can take over, and, and this can be great. But unfortunately, I was never able to make that transition. And the reason why is because as I was trying to disciple him, his heart was just, like all of our hearts at times, can be filled, just filled with so much pride. And I'll never forget we were at a conference doing some training, leadership training, and we were standing by a door, and a speaker drove up and was in a, a limousine. He got picked up from the airport, and a guy comes and opens the door, and the preacher comes out, and he looks at me, and he says, I guarantee you one day I'm going to be being dropped off by a limousine. And crowds of people, 
are going to be waiting to greet me. Great preacher. Great speaker. Never said that when I asked him to teach Bible study in front of our students. But it bled from his heart from time to time. He was more concerned about his glory and his fame than the fame of Jesus. The gospel frees us from such low goals. That is a low goal to be thought of well by man. That is a low goal to receive the praise of another person who zips up his pants just like you do. That is a low goal to be well respected and well loved by the mass. The highest goal that there is is to be praised and commended by the Lord. And we settle every day for low goals and impressing other people. So much so till we can't serve Christ. We settle every day for running around trying to impress mom or impress dad or keep up with what they want you to do in order that you can be their favorite child rather than seeking the face of Jesus. We settle for low goals. And Paul is trying to point us to a higher goal, a big day, where one day we as God's people would gather around our Savior and will receive judgment. And I pray that the judgment will look like this. The last part of this chapter then each one will receive his condemnation, his uh, commendation from the Lord. Commendation means his praise. Because one day each man, each Christian will receive his praise from the Lord. One day we will. Live for that day. Live for hearing the voice of Jesus say, faithful servant, well done. Live to hear the voice of Jesus say, faithful mom who led her children, not based upon what culture had to say, not based upon what that child wanted, but based upon what God's word said, the picture that live for that day. Live for that day, dad, where you would see Jesus' face and Jesus will say, faithful father. Oh, how you sacrifice football games on Saturday to get in the word. Oh, how you sacrifice working on that grass to get in the Word so that you can feed your children. Faithful Father, well done. Faithful child. Who poured over the scriptures in a coffee shop when no one was looking in order that you can pour out to your single, single friends. Faithful deacon who served week in and week out and visited people that most of the congregation will never meet or never know, but who did it because you love Jesus. Let's pray.